It's great to have everybody here. And now we're here for the most important time of the service, even more important than the food. Only one guy said amen. So that means I am in an unenviable position of standing between you and Cafe Rio. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. I just expect this every single year. I think next year we need to have one of these other men preach this message, preach this meeting. Maybe one of our other pastors um, would like to preach this meeting next year. If you, if you agree with that, say amen. Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 27. I trust you brought your Bible. If you didn't, maybe you could look on with somebody and follow. Make sure that we're in the book. Verse number 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall seat, sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Notice these next two verses. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my namesake, shall receive an hundredfold, and, some of you guys that are secretly playing the lottery, this is better than the lottery. You shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Now that means that you're not only going to be blessed in this life, that's where the hundredfold is applied, but you're going to also, in addition, you're going to inherit everlasting life. Look at verse number 30. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And that's what I want to preach about for the next several minutes. The last shall be first. Let's put our Bibles down or just lay your Bible aside, and let's pray together. Let's pray in this special environment, this special moment, this special time that the Holy Ghost would talk to us in a special measure. Would you lift your voice with us? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. Thank you for this incredible opportunity to be gathered together in your house, worshiping and celebrating this great God and this great salvation. Father, I pray tonight that the Holy Ghost would bring illumination and understanding that we might 
have direction, specificity, clarity, understanding. And we won't fail to give you the praise and the glory and the honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This is a notable passage of Scripture that I read in your hearing. Um, this portion of this discourse is not near as popular as the first half of this discourse. If you'll look at verse number 20 with me, this is describing, that is also recorded in Mark and Luke. It's talking about the rich young ruler. Look at verse number 20. The young man saith unto Jesus, all these things have I kept from my youth up. You might recall that the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus uh, rehearses some of the Ten Commandments. Um, Honor thy father and mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, so on and so forth. The young man responded and said, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so that really is the foundation of this particular passage of Scripture. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> excuse me, then Peter, impetuous and Kind of has sloppy timing, but nonetheless, it's Peter. And after listening to this rich young man and listening basically to his response to Jesus, that's when Peter says, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What are we going to get? And so that's where Jesus begins to talk about when he says that you have followed me in the regeneration, and he says, but every one of you that has forsaken houses, brethren, sister, father, mother, wife, children, lands, for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But the kicker in that passage of Scripture is verse number 30. And the reason for that is, is because theologically, at least in my mind, this scripture does not fit because Jesus finalizes this particular, this particular conversation. He says, but many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. And then he moves on. I must confess to this, this audience tonight that I have pondered this particular passage for many, many years. And um, 
I think that's healthy that as you read the Word of God that you see things that you do not understand because I believe that that's a perfect opportunity to pray and to dig and to allow God to give you a revelation of those particular scriptures. And, and I want to thank God because I feel like God has been doing that in my life and many others um, ever since I've been saved. But nonetheless, I have had a great, a great question about this because it just doesn't seem to fit the narrative that he's talking about leaving everything that's familiar and then the last shall be first and the first shall be last. I feel like God has given me some understanding on this and that's really what I want to share to this congregation here tonight. Through the years, um, I would just kind of stockpile away these little understandings that I felt like God was giving me about particular scriptures. I would just vouchsafe them in the back of my theological reservoir in my brain until I can begin to put things together to get a clear picture. And I feel like I have some clarity about this incredible verse. We're going to start by going to an unusual passage of Scripture that's found in Luke chapter number 16. <coughs> Luke chapter number 16, and we're going to start in verse number 19. This is Jesus talking, and he is giving what many biblical expositors considered to be one of the most mortifying parables of his ministry. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. I'm going to fill in for the sake of time, I'm going to fill in a few blanks for you that this, this poor man was laid at his gate. There are people that, that, were, that were caregivers for this man, just like the man that was laid at the gate, beautiful. There were people that took the responsibility to position and posture. Um, the, the people that were crippled and halt and blind and, and had no way of making any kind of money or obtaining any resource, they put them within proximity of people that did have resource. And so there were people that laid Lazarus, that's his name, this beggar, they laid him at the gate of this rich man. This is a story that Jesus is talking about and, and is true to the parables and the pedagogy, the form of teaching that Jesus employed. Uh, Jesus told these stories as if they were true. It wasn't a fabrication. It wasn't a theological um, um, hallucination. It was a reality. This was a real situation that took place. And so this beggar would, would be laid there daily seeking to get the crumbs from the rich man's table. And the dogs would come and lick this man's sores. And eventually Lazarus died and he was carried by angelic host into Abraham's bosom. And that is told here in verse number 22. And it came to pass 
that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in verse 23, the rich man is in hell. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So once again, here you have where the beggar is carried by an angelic ambassador to Abraham's bosom. And here the rich man died and went to hell. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now notice, now that the rich man has found himself in torment, he is asking the beggar to come and minister to him. But yet there is no indication or record at any time that the rich man met any type of the needs and the requests of Lazarus as he was laid at his gate. Now you're saying, you might be here tonight saying, okay, pastor, but what's that got to do that where the first shall be last and the last, da, 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 da. Okay, just hang on. Verse 25, and Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. You're going to take your memory into eternity. Your memory is going to remember every altar call. It's going to remember every evangelist. It's going to remember every time that God tried to call you to an hour of prayer. You're going to recall these things. Because here is Father Abraham saying, Son, remember. Okay. And this is where it gets really interesting. Look at verse number 27. Then Lazarus said, I pray thee, therefore, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So this rich man, I'm assuming he died of old age. He is the first one in his family to go to hell. And now he is requesting that Lazarus go to his family and warn them, plead with them, preach to them to not follow in the footsteps of their father and end up in hell. Is everybody seeing that? That is an incredible reality in the Word of God, and Jesus taught way more on hell than he did on heaven. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the same means to get to heaven 
that everybody else has. Let me be the first to say how blessed I feel to be in the house of God tonight. I'm no longer on a bar stool. I'm no longer at a table cutting cocaine, getting ready to have it sold. I'm not ready to go out to a rock concert, but I'm in a place that's on the threshold of glory. It's a little late, old man. It's a little late to save your family. Now you're wanting the supernatural to do what you didn't do. Now, I'm not trying to be negative, but I am trying to preach the Word of God tonight. And here's a man that ended up in hell. He already knew about Moses. He already knew about the prophets. He knew about the Pentateuch, the Septuagint. He knew about the law and the prophets, but he waved it off. He knew about the needs of humanity because there's a beggar that died at his gate. But now that he's in torment, he's saying, I need to do something about my family. And it was too late. And he responded to Abraham and said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead. Now his request is really getting, first it was send Lazarus. And just let him bring some cool water. This is how much torment there was. Just one drop of water on my parched tongue. You think Jesus made that up? There's a lot of people that think that that is nothing more than a fairy tale. But now he's saying, send Lazarus to my family. Because I don't want my family to make the same mistakes that I made, follow the same direction I went in, and disregard the word of God, disregard the man of God, disregard the things of God, disregard, disregard, discredit, devalue, unbelief, so on and so forth. And so I submit to you that the greatest torment that this man was going to face was not the fact that he was in hell, but that his entire family would be joining him there. Let's lift our hands and let's just say, God, you're a God of mercy. I just, I'm just, I just need all the help I can get tonight. The reason why this story is important is because it reveals to us that there was an individual that was the first to experience something, except that in this very dark example, there is absolutely nothing that he could do about it by the way that he had lived his life. I think that that should be a good warning to us that we should live for God at home. We should live for God 
on the job. We should live for God. You know what? You should live for God when nobody's looking because the devil's looking. God's looking. Many of the things that people are going through is self-inflicted. When you start understanding that I'm not going to mess up anymore because the devil's watching me mess up and I don't want him to know where I'm weak. Oh, come on, somebody clap your hands and give God the praise. That's maturity. When you become a mature child of God, you just understand, I'm doing it because it's right, and I don't care if anybody sees me or not, the spirit world can see me. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. You can do that. That's a great New Year's resolution for all of us. But the reason why that's an incredible example is because, and although it's in reverse, it is a negative but it shows the effects of one person's experience and then others to follow. Even with this scripture of the rich man at Lazarus, it still did not answer all the questions that I had, and then God gave me my missing, my last little piece of the puzzle. And that's what I want to preach about for the next several minutes is the missing piece of the puzzle. In the book of Genesis, chapter number six, verse number seven, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing for the fowls of the air, for repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace. Aren't you glad you found grace? Let's just take a minute. If you don't know if you have or not, you need to walk out of here tonight and know without a shadow of a doubt that the grace of God is in my, come on, let's give God some glory here tonight. Everybody said Noah. Everybody in the house said Noah. Everybody that's going to eat dinner together say Noah. You're getting louder. Everybody that's going to have Cafe Rio say Noah. Everybody that's going to heaven say Noah. I knew you had it in you. We've all heard the story of Noah, or have we? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse number nine. Now notice carefully. You got to stick with me because you're going to get something out of this. I'll scream and make it sound like preaching, but that's in a few minutes. These are the generations of Noah. That particular phrase is incredibly interesting. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. But I want to talk about this generation thing here for a minute. Noah was only the ninth descendant from Adam. 
His father's name was Lamech, who lived to be over 700 years of age. His grandfather was Methuselah. But he was only the ninth descendant from Adam. And scientists tell us, biblical scientists tell us, I don't know how they figured out some things, but nonetheless, here you go, that there was at least 250 million people alive on the face of the planet at the time of Noah's flood. Now, what's interesting about this is this word generations is where we get the word genealogy. And the genealogies that are found in the Word of God are always from father to son, whether it's the book of Numbers, whether it's Matthew chapter number one or Luke chapter number three, talking about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Every single genealogy in the Word of God is only father to son. At the time that Noah found grace from God, he was 500 years old. Now, if my computations are correct, his father died, give or take, within 20 years before God called him to build an ark. So his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather Methuselah, which is the longest living recorded human being in the word of God, they were all dead on the men's side. But he had scores. His mother very possibly was still alive. He had aunts. He had uncles. He had nephews. He had brothers. He had sisters. He had cousins. You have to, you have to understand that in order to have 250 million people on the face of the planet, at the time in which Noah was only the ninth descendant from Adam, that a family tree could be hundreds in numbers. Which meant that when God spoke to Noah, he had family members in abundance that were alive. In, in researching and studying this out today, there is a lot of um, belief that maybe his mother was still alive. And as I've already mentioned, he had, he had buku aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, and everything in between. I just want, I just want you to just kind of park there for a minute and get that in your mind. that he had buku, you know, that street language. I shouldn't use that anymore. He had a lot of family that was still alive. And everybody said, praise the Lord. But look at verse 9. Verse 9 does not mention any other family either before him other than him, but Noah and his three sons. 
All right, Pastor, we're, we're giving you a lot of grace tonight. We're trying to follow you. I'm doing my best to get there, but I can't leave any stone unturned because you've got to get this. This is a revelation in the Word of God. And so we're going to look at a couple other scriptures real quick. Genesis chapter number 7, verse number 5, said this. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. You remember that God told Noah to build an ark. It was approximately a football field long. It was approximately 80 feet wide, had one door, had window. God told him what kind of wood. God told him what to what to pitch it with or insulate it with or like caulking uh, how to how to make it where it was water waterproof and 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 could float and God told him to do three floors and God told him Noah did not have one say in the ark and ladies and gentlemen after we find grace we have no say See, there's a lot of people think, well, I live in the United States. I've got five different brands of ketchup. I've got 15 different kinds of cheese. I've got 50 churches within 10 miles. I can go anywhere I want. But you may not be at the one that God wants you to be in. We're talking about an ark. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above you all, in you all, and through you all. There's only one gospel. It's not receiving Jesus as your personal Savior. It is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of these sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Separation from the world. See, in this day and age where people are intellectual and they're employing personal ideology, that's where they get into trouble. And that is exactly what Lucifer posed to Eve, was to develop a personal ideology about what is good and what is not. And God is holding something back from you. No, God is not holding something back from you. God wants to know if you'll obey him, then you'll get dominion. You go ahead and do what you want, but don't tell me you got power with God. Don't tell me you can sit in front of a television all day and then cast out a devil. Don't tell me that you can have the world in your mind and you've got power with God and influence with man. You've got to do according to the pattern. You're lying to yourself. Come on, clap your hands and give God the praise. I want this thing to float, and the only way it's going to float is you got to do it according to the pattern. A lot of people in this world, they think, you know, the pastor doesn't know what I'm doing. Yeah, but God does. And God talks to the pastor. And I'd like to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> That's not too far from the truth, ladies and gentlemen. So Noah had no say in the dimensions, in the substance, anything about the ark. He was only to carry out the plan of God. And let's go back to verse 
the previous verse, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him, and the congregation say amen. Next verse. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of the waters was upon the earth. Next verse. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood, and everybody said amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. That word fear is a word that's missing in our culture. It is a word that means literally, it's not talking about terror. It's talking about reverence. It is talking about revering God. And reverence has two components to it. One of them is the dread of God because of God's omnipotence and, and, God, and, and the fact that God's eternal and God carries everything in the palm of his hand. The other thing is love. We are balanced between fear. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The reason why some people are not saved is because they have no fear of God. They have no reverence for the things of God. They have no reverence for the things in that Bible. Noah moved with fear. He said, I believe God. And ladies and gentlemen, you better believe that in the hundred years that it took to construct that ark, that Noah had plenty visits from family. This was the largest construction project of its time. The, 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 the Tower of Babel was still several chapters away. This was the largest constructed project in the word of God up until this point, people came for miles. People came from different nations just to see what this man was building. He had family members. He had sisters. He had brothers. He had, he had aunts, uncles, nieces, you name it, by the hundreds, maybe even the thousands. And they said, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is, this is an eyesore. We're sick of it. Get rid of it. He had one thing because he was a preacher of righteousness. He said, God spoke to me. It's getting ready to flood. God's going to destroy because of the violence and the, and, the, and the sexuality that's gone crazy in this world. And God has told me to build an ark, and I'm going to save my family, and we are going to be saved in the judgment of God. Right here is where it starts to turn. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 19, except a man leave houses and brothers and sisters and everybody that doesn't believe I'm going to promise you that he had a family member, probably old country Joe from the farm, just, just up there chewing his cud, saying, boy, have you lost your mind? We ain't never seen it rain like that. It's never going to rain like that. You've been smoking that stuff again. You've been getting into stuff you haven't been, you're not allowed to be doing. You better knock this stuff off. Noah would say to family members, I am not going to quit going to church. This is the thing that's getting me out of here. This is the greatest thing I've ever found. This is the greatest thing I've ever been a part of. I'm not going back to my family. I'm not going back to brothers. I'm not going back to sisters. I'm not going back to people that curse God. I'm not going back to people that live like the devil. I'm going to do it according to the pattern because I want to be saved. Clap your hands and give God the praise. <laughs> 
I don't care who it is, mother, children, daughters, wife, husband, whoever, I'm not going to be lost. Come on, one more time, let's clap our hands and give him praise. Okay. Now I understand what Jesus was saying. When you get this, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about really getting this. You know, you have, you have put your toe in the water of Pentecostal. God's so good. No, I, I, I'm not talking about, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't do that when I was living for the devil. I sure ain't going to do that to the living God. Don't want to mess up my hair or wrinkle my clothes. No, I'm talking about really getting this. I'm talking about, about where God gets in you and you get in God and you don't care who's looking unless you're willing to forsake brother and sister and husband and wife. Come on, somebody, give him praise. Now I think you're starting to get this. If somebody can pull you out of this, then I doubt you really got it. Because once one prayer meeting, well, you're at his feet. And you'll be sold out for a million lifetimes. That you can take my life. You can take this. You can take that. You can have this sin. You can have that job. You can have that relationship. You can have my addiction. You can have my compulsion. You can have my internet pornography. You can have it all. But give me Jesus. I wish somebody would stand to your feet and worship God with me. You can't take away this. It Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Okay. When I started seeing this, a dimly lit bulb started shining a little brighter. Brother Kyle, I'm so honored that you were on a nonstop flight to get here and hear me preach tonight. That's, that just makes me feel like, man, actually, he was on Southwest. He's one of the lucky ones. But what does this mean the first shall be last. When I saw this next scripture, it blew my mind, which meant it was a very small explosion between my cerebellum and my left hemisphere. Go to that scripture in 2 Peter. Watch this. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved into judgment. 
And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. Hold it. He wasn't the eighth. He was the first. He found grace. He got the instructions. He had a walk with God. But Noah said, I ain't getting on there. I'm going to make sure my family's on there. The rich man was in hell and said, go help me. He said, no way. You waited too long. But when Noah got this, he said, I'm not getting on that ark. I've got a wife. I've got my daughter-in-laws. I've got, I've got all my sons. I'm not getting on this thing, God, until you save my children. Stand to your feet and clap your hands and give God the praise. The first shall be last. I'm not getting on here until you bring my babies home. My God, I need a mom and daddy to preach with me right now. I am not getting in this thing until my backsliders are home. I'm not going to leave my husband. I'm not going to leave my little babies. God, I know you talk to me, and I'm going to stand by the door. And once they're on board... Come on, somebody pray. Lift your hands. Give God the glory. Give God the praise. When you get a revelation, it's supposed to do something. Noah built this ark. It's all ready to go. God tells him exactly when it's going to happen. Noah could have been that first one up that ramp. Woo, get me out of here. Bunch of, bunch of heathens, pagans, sinners, cursing God, cursing me, make fun of me. I want to be the first one out of here, on there to get out of here. He was the one that had the relationship with God. He was the one that had the revelation. He was the one that had instructions of the pattern. He was the one that understood the destruction that was coming. So he took the responsibility as a man to say, I'm not getting on there until these beautiful babies are on board. You can stay in there if you want to, but I'm here to tell you God will answer your prayers. It's time for you to get desperate and say, I'm not budging until my whole family is going to heaven with me. God will honor the prayers of a mama that puts her roots down and say, I will not be moved. God will stand behind a man that lifts up holy hands without wrath or doubting. God will honor the prayers and the tears in a vial. Clap your hands and give him praise.
I have noticed an incredible pattern that fulfills this biblical revelation. How many of you in this building are first-generation apostolics? Just stick with me. I believe that when God saves one guy out of a family, if he will posture himself correctly, that he can intercede for that entire family and say, I'm not budging until my family's in this. I'm not budging until my wife is in this. I'm not budging until my husband is in this. I'm not budging until my sister's in this. I'm not budging. Come on, somebody. The first is supposed to do the praying, is supposed to obey the pattern, is supposed to do the building, is supposed to do the sacrifice. It's Clap your hands and give him praise. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen God save one family member and then one by one as that cord of intercession is built between heaven and earth begin to pull in family member after family. Well, they don't want it. Keep praying for them. They said this ark is a joke. Just keep praying for them. They say that I ought to just give up. Just keep praying for them. They say it ain't going to rain. There ain't going to be no judgment. Just keep praying for them. They say that I'm wasting my time. Just keep praying for them. Because when that rain gets to their ankles, they started banging on the side of that. Noah, 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 can you hear me? Noah, when it got up to their knees, it was too late, rich man. It was too late to go to your brethren. It was too late to have a prayer meeting. It was too late to intercede. It was too late. I want you to stand to your feet with me. And I want you to lift your hands. And I want you to pray right now for one family member. Come on. Tonight is the night that we're going to start on the life of somebody and make a difference and chisel it away on my knees and chisel it away by praying until I'm hoarse and praying until there's no more strength. You got the revelation first. It's your responsibility. I'm not budging, God, until that phone rings. You say, well, Pastor, I just gave up on everybody because they just quit on me. No, you're the one that gave up. Noah had 100 years to be a preacher of righteousness. He just kept preaching every day. He just kept preaching every day. He just kept saying, you guys, I'm telling you, God's going to come. God's going to come. God's going to wrap this up. God's going to judge the world. God's going to save us if we'll get in the ark. You may be seated. I'm almost done. Whoever is the first becomes the variable 
Brother Chris, I know you prayed for your mom and dad. I know I prayed for my family. Every single holiday, this first holiday season, I can remember that my brother from California didn't call up with a profane, laced rebuke of me and this church and being Pentecostal on our answering machine. Don't you dare give in to that spirit that says, let them burn. Don't you dare. God pulled you out, Noah, so that you'd keep preaching. They're depending on you to be able to take it. This is tough stuff. This ain't no little fly-by-night, little whimsical, mamby-pamby Pentecost stuff. This is getting down to biblical revelation. The man that, got, that was the first ended up being the last because he said, I'm not stepping foot on there until my generation is on board. And Noah is the most often used biblical figure of end time destruction. My dad and I hated each other. I know that because he's, he basically told me that. The truth of the matter is, it wasn't all my dad's fault. It was my fault, too. And because I lacked a masculine, I had a masculine deficiency in my upbringing because my dad was basically he was there, but he was emotionally, he was, he, he was not there. And so I was a late bloomer on how to go out and get a job. I didn't get a job until I was uh, 30 years old. I got saved. I got saved and got a job. Had I not got saved, I'd have probably died of some something. I've been living for God victoriously for a couple years, and all of a sudden, it was not in my mind. It was not in my heart. I felt the Holy Ghost. I'll never forget this. I was living at 7430 Cosgrove on the bad side of Florin Road. <laughs> Dude, if you didn't pray on Florin Road, you might not see the sun coming up the next morning. The Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, write your dad a letter. Now, it wasn't just God told me abruptly. It was one of those things, you know how it is. You start to feel something. And God begins to give it more definition. And then you have absolute clarity that this is what I need to do, and that's exactly what I did. I wrote my dad a letter. I got, I absolutely 
drug my family through the mud in that small farming community. Our reputation of our family name. I was looked at as just the black sheep and beyond. But here, here I am. I got a job. I'm sober. I got a haircut. I take a bath every day. Wash my hair every day. I used to go days and not wash my hair. I wrote my dad a letter, tears pouring down my face. Dad, please forgive me for total, absolute disrespect, rebellion, shame that I brought to our family. Please forgive me. Love, Rick. My dad's never been one for long conversations. He holds the record for the shortest, even today, the shortest phone conversations I've ever had with a human being. Hey, how you doing? Good. I got to go now. You know, people that are, that are emotionally underdeveloped, they can't, they can't maintain the attention of their, their emotions that long. They got to get away from any type of intimacy. They're incapable of intimacy. He wrote me back a, le a letter that had just a few words. Got your letter. Love you, Dad. I would just break under the power of the Holy Ghost every single day for Weeping, just weeping and weeping, groaning. My dad is 94 years old, which means I'm going to be around a long time. You say, oh, I wouldn't do that because he did this, this, this. Well, I ain't you. God will use anybody at any age to reach your generation above you, horizontally, and beneath you. You're the first. Let's lift our hands. I'm almost done. This is why the devil is fighting you so bad. You have an undeveloped prayer life. You don't think that this is... You don't have enough discipline spiritually to really see the joy and the glory of this, which is exactly what it takes to begin to connect the dots. The devil does not want you to connect the dots. Because if you ever connect the dots and really figure out who you are and what this is really all about, you're going to become a major headache to the powers of darkness. And so what the devil does is he keeps your dots isolated. And he tries to get you 
to regularly mess up so you're not focused on connecting revelation. All you can think about is I'm, I'm dirty and I'm, I'm horrible and I can't do this right. And that's exactly where the devil wants you. What you need to understand is when Jesus paid for your sins, he paid for your sins forever. You just need to say, God, forgive me. I don't ever want to do that again. I want the victory in my life. You paid for my victory. Let's get with the program. It's time to connect the dots and grow up and reach your family, and reach a backslider, and reach somebody but yourself. God, when you become the first in your family, God will start reaching out in every direction. If you're obedient. If you're still bitter and carry the grudges of your childhood, then you really didn't get cleaned up and filled to overflowing. First Corinthians chapter six, brother Tristan. Let's wrap this up. They're getting hungry. The natives are getting restless. I see my beautiful daughter-in-law back there. Whitney, raise your hand. I love you. Is your husband over there? I pray for Zach every single day of my life. I will, I will to the very last breath I've got, I'm going to pray for my children. You, there ain't no devil in hell. There's no disease. There's, I'm looking for a mom and dad to get a backbone like a tree log. I'm looking for somebody that's given up and just retired and said it ain't never going to happen to say, you know what, devil, I'm getting, I'm getting my second wind. I see it in the Bible. I'm not going to get on that ark without my kids. There's a lot of selfishness in our world that would be the first one on that ark. What a comfortable chair to get in. And if they weren't served properly, they'd complain. But God called you the first one out of your family to be a Noah. You're the one that got the grace. You're the one that understands the pattern. You're the one that understands the coming destruction. You're the one that understands what's going to happen to people if they're not on board. You're the one that has that knowledge. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Just stop there. Nor thieves. Okay. Did it ever dawn on you that God is wanting to save people out of every single orientation to become the first? I got, I preached this whole message to park this thing right here. And such 
were some of you. Well, we don't want that in our church. It's not what the pastor says. How are we going to reach them if somebody doesn't become a Noah and said, God brought me out and God delivered me and God gave me grace and God gave me power and now I'm going to reach everybody that I can and I'm not getting on here until I've done some damage. We're a bunch, we're a bunch of apostolics in the, in the 21st century saying, Jesus, come and get us, come and get us. Oh, Jesus, I can't wait till you come and get us. Get us away from President Biden. And Jesus, I was just seeing if you're still awake. You passed the test. Did it ever dawn on us that God wants us to have some Noah's that are saying, here about 15 years ago, both Brother Aaron Mayo and Brother Jesse Gamboa were in that congregation at that time. I got a call on a Wednesday night. That's when our midweek service was. One of the ushers said, Pastor, I need you to get here real quick. I said, what's going on? He said, man, there's a, there's a guy here. He's giving me the creeps. I said, well, pray. Dude, I can't defend you from the boogeyman. You got the Holy Ghost, you pray. I said, I'm getting ready. And I'll, I'll, I'll be coming here in a few minutes. He called me back in 10 minutes. Pastor, are you, are you coming yet? Yeah. What's going on? Oh, man, this guy is really different. Okay. Well, I was really different before I got saved. Not a big deal with me. Not a big deal with me. God called Rick Mayo out because there's a lot of Rick Mayos out there, and God needs me to be the first that said, I ain't going in this thing until I pulled some of them out. You're saying, Jesus, take me home. Jesus saying, get to work. Take somebody else. I walked in the church, and it wasn't exactly a firm handshake, but he introduced himself as the drag queen of Seattle. And I said, all right. He said, I got AIDS. I need to be saved. I said, you came to the right place. I got up and gave a little Bible study. I'm telling you, that man almost flew into that altar. Tears streaming down his face, repenting before God and all his holy angels. Our church was right there. I was so proud of our church. They were, they were right there. You always got some, some guy in the back saying, it's that kind of guy who's got to Well, I thought you had more protection than that. If that's all it'll take, so you'll work in these altars, we'll get you some plastic gloves. 
He got up and got baptized in Jesus' name. He came out of the water, speaking in other tongues. Our church went up. That brought revival. You know why that brought revival? Because God's saying, I'm opening up a whole nother sector of our world. Come on, somebody. You're saying, I can never witness to those people, but when God brings them to us, Sir, my friend wants to come to this church, but he's got same-sex attraction. Okay. Pastor, my wife and I don't want that kind coming to our church. Well, I guess you need to find another church. Oh, don't let, don't let some of these suits and these pretty dresses fool you. Such were some of you. And God brought us to such a time as this so that we could hold up the light and say, I'm not giving up on people that are demon-possessed and tormented in this world. The first shall be last. I got up and big, huge conference, a couple thousand people there. And I said, if transgender people are not welcome in your church, send them to Spokane. They can come to my church. We ain't going to leave them like that. We're not going to let just people prance around in their sin and in their rebellion. We're going to watch devil ca- God cast the devil out of that person and God fill him with the power of another world. I don't want to miss it. I want to be a part of that. Such were some of you. There is a thousand people in this world just like you and just like you and just like you and just like you and just like you. Let's stand to our feet. Let's lift our hands and give God the praise. Give God the glory. Come on, lift your voice with me. Come on, lift your voice. This is the most important part of this service is the altar call. Come on, connect some dots tonight. That's why God called you out. You're the first one in your genealogy. You're the first one in your family tree. I know we got a few people here tonight, but I'd like to invite everybody, before we're dismissed to go eat, I'd like everybody to come into this altar together. Would you? Come on. Come on, let's all come. I know the altar goes all the way around, but let's, let's come to the altar tonight. In Jesus' name. I'm glad God called me out. I'm going to do something with it. I'm going to do something with it. Because, see, I got this revelation. I connected a few dots. I figured out why God brought me out. Oh, in Jesus' name. Brother Jordan, could we get a few musicians up here? Just somebody that can yodel on time. Brother Harold Taylor, welcome home. Love you, sir. Come on up. Everybody that's here. No, come on. Please, come on. Everybody. 
Everybody. <clears throat> We're going to pray. We're going to pray that God's going to help me connect some dots so that I can be an instrument like Noah of being a preacher of righteousness, ministering to my world, making a difference where I can, that I'm not just in this in vain, I'm in this on purpose. Let's lift our hands all across this altar. Lift your hands with me. Let's pray. Father, by the authority of the name of Jesus, why don't you lay your hands over on the shoulder, brother to brother and sister to sister. Let's pray for one another right now. God, I'm going to go into this new year making myself available to you. I'm going to get beyond my hang-ups. I'm going to get beyond the shame. I'm going to get beyond the foolishness of the devil and trying to pour into my brain so I can be a, a minister of reconciliation. Come on, lift your voice. Let's pray. Let's spend a few minutes here tonight. I'm going to go back to church on Sunday. I'm going to be ready to win somebody. I know somebody on my block. I've been thinking about it. I've been praying about it. I'm going to make my move. I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a difference. I worship you. Come on, somebody lift your voice. God wants to give somebody the Holy Ghost here tonight. God wants to renew somebody because it'll never happen without a move of the Spirit. It'll never happen without the leading of the Spirit. Let's lift our hands and let God regenerate us. Let God restore us. Let God rejuvenate us. Miracle work, promise keep, light in the darkness. That is who you are.